Jonah chapter, or excuse me, lesson eight we're on. It, it's hard to believe we spent almost two months on this book already. We probably have two or three more lessons uh, to get through to finish up this book. And as we, we pick up here in, in Jonah chapter three, you'll remember a couple weeks back, we left off. Jonah was still in the belly of the great fish. He was contemplating, reflecting on his life, um, the decisions that he had made. And he was coming to a place where he was turning back to God. He was turning towards God and praying to him in his holy temple. Jonah spent this time in the belly of the fish. And we see throughout that time um, when he is in the belly of the fish, how he remembers the word of God. And we've emphasized the importance of hiding the word of God in your heart and how that comes back to you in your moments of need, your moments of despair, your moments of darkness. Not just in those moments, really the word is with you always. We reflected on how Jonah spent this time. This was very real time uh, in the darkness um, and all the other unpleasantries that are in your stomach, as you could imagine, your own stomach. He spent three full days there, and we glanced through that. We read through that. It doesn't seem like a long time, but if you've spent three days doing something that's not comfortable or, or not pleasant or just maybe simply in pain from something, you can appreciate three days is, is quite a while. So Jonah turns to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. And the fish vomits Jonah onto dry land. And we looked at that picture of Jonah actually landing on dry land as a finished work. Uh, the fish didn't vomit Jonah into, you know, just the, a few feet of the shoreline where he had to swim or walk back to the dry land. He was vomited onto dry ground as a picture of the work the Lord does in us. He finishes the work. He puts us on firm footing. He pulls us out of that miry clay. We see that Jonah, again, is presented with this, this call. Go and preach to the people of Nineveh. And as unpleasant as it was to Jonah the first time he heard it, no doubt it was just as unpleasant this time. Um, and we can sort of understand where Jonah is coming from. These people were enemies of the nation of Israel. They were vile people, as we're going to read about today. And we can see in our own lives, there are just, you know, we talked about this real briefly. There's just people at times we don't really like. Um, and, and there are people that we would consider maybe enemies or, or maybe people that are just seem opposed to us or whatever it may be. But we look through that instruction in the New Testament that we are to love our enemies. We are to pray for those who spitefully use you. And as Paul exhorts us in Romans is to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those are hard Instructions Easy to read, but hard to apply when people irritate us. Jonah is living that in his life. So he's back on dry ground. Jonah is instructed to go and preach to Nineveh, and this time he goes instead of fleeing. And that's where we pick up in Jonah 3, and we'll read verses 4 through 6. <clears throat> and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And in this section, really through the end of chapter 3, we see this repentance of Nineveh, this detailed out section here of what happened. And again, as I've talked about many times, this book is only four chapters long. So much happened in this time that Jonah is experiencing this, from that, that moment that he's first called to go to Nineveh, to the fish, to, to this moment in time. Time is passing, even though it's such a condensed narrative. 
So we, we talked about briefly, this, this city of Nineveh was probably rather large. Here it says it's a three days journey to walk through it, and that's probably moving at a pretty good clip. Jonah had to go through and do something that's very, in my mind, I perceive it as very uncomfortable. If the Lord told me to go to City Hall down the street and say, Lee Summit, Lee Summit, Mayor of Lee Summit, uh, 40 days and Lee Summit is going to be overthrown. Now that sounds maybe a little bit silly and foolish to try to picture me at City Hall not getting arrested, tackled or tased or whatever that might look like, telling them that they're going to be overthrown. That would be unpleasant. And, and maybe you've had that experience in your own life where the Lord has put on your heart to speak to somebody, to tell them about the Lord, tell them something maybe they're doing wrong. It's not pleasant. It's not comfortable. And it takes courage. It takes strength from the Lord to surrender to that work. So I tried to not be too hard on Jonah when I reflect and read this account of his failures. And as I mentioned early on in our lessons There's much that I see myself in Jonah. There's much that I see myself in Nineveh and learn from that today. Nonetheless, Jonah had a choice. The Lord presented him with something to do. He had a choice to make, and he went forth and cried out to Nineveh. He said, you need to repent. The choice was theirs. They, like all of us, Nineveh had that choice to make in their own life, to know what is right and what is wrong. Nineveh could have certainly plugged their ears Um, They could have figuratively or literally turned away from the Lord, and they never would have acquired of what exactly Jonah was talking about, what exactly Jonah had been through. And again, part of this, as I was studying out this lesson, my curiosity gets the best of me at times, but I wonder exactly what people knew about Jonah's account. Certainly, they would have had to know something about him for him to, to come into this town and for it to be widely known that this man had been swallowed by a fish and vomited onto dry ground. Now, you guys all know me here, but if I walked in and told you, you're never going to believe this, guess what happened? There I was, minding my own business out in the sea, and these guys threw me into the sea, and I was swallowed by a fish. I sat in the fish for three days, and then it vomited me onto dry land. Now, who would believe that, right? Again, so I think there's something, some, obviously the Lord put in these people's heart to believe and receive what Jonah had said. But I think there were were those who saw and know what happened to Jonah, and that carried weight when he began to speak. Again, you can imagine this man who had been through it, just in our own lives when we're learning something. Again, I remember way back to to early on in my fire academy days of those instructors that had been on the job for a long time, who had been through a lot of different things, that had kind of been there, done that, experienced that. Those tended to carry more weight to me than the new guy, they came up and said, let me tell you, kid, how to do it. You know, he's the same age. He's been on the job for three weeks longer than I had. There was some weight to that experience, to that knowledge, to that understanding. No doubt that would have carried weight in Jonah's account, Jonah's testimony, Jonah's preaching. Again, he comes and offers this message to Nineveh, and we see clearly that they repent, that they turned, they looked to the Lord, they listened. We can contrast that with the Jews in Jesus' time who rejected, who took a hardened approach, who rejected and missed that message, that opportunity of repentance, salvation, and peace that Jesus offered to them. Repentance in and of itself, we see this this parallel here in Jonah's account in Jesus. Again, not a perfect picture, but certainly some parallels that we can tie, tie to it. 
Repentance derives its efficacy or its effectiveness from the death of Christ. And again, Jonah's account carried weight because he had figuratively died. He had been entombed in this fish and now was alive again. Jonah proclaimed what God told him to. And again, what a picture for us. When the Lord tells us to do something, if we do it, if we surrender, if we yield to it, whether we want to, whether we like it, whether it's comfortable, whether it's something that's on our bucket list, if you will, if the Lord says to do it and we do it, he will do the rest. Our job is to surrender, to allow him to do that work in us and through us as he desires, as he pleases. He does the work, and the same holds true then as it does now. Let's look at an account in Jeremiah 18. In Jeremiah 18, we read here, The word of the Lord came to me, in verse 5, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. Again, as we talked about early on in this, this lesson in Jonah, one of the overarching themes that we see is God's grace. We see God's grace to relent, God's grace to save, God's grace to heal, God's grace to give opportunity. It is God who rules and overrules. This picture of a potter making a pot, the potter has the power, has the ability, has the authority, if you will, to shape that pot into whatever he chooses to do. So to our father, and this is that battle we see with Jonah in chapter 1. If Jonah knew this was God's character, he knew God was loving and benevolent and didn't want any to perish. But these were his enemies. These were Jonah's enemies, his people's enemies. But as we read here, if I decide to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy, or simply to preserve, I am the potter. I have the ability to do it. How wonderful it is to have a loving father, a benevolent God that wants best for his people, that wants best for all mankind. To work, to shape things according to his plans, according to his purposes. Again, I hope that brings comfort to you as you go through your life, as you go through trials and and difficulties in your life. Or, Or maybe you see things happening to other people that maybe you wished were happening to you or for you. We can understand that the Lord has a plan. That he is working and he wants to give everyone an opportunity to come to know him, to come to experience his best, to come live in the abundance that he offers. Ultimately, we read in Peter that his desire is that that none should perish, but all that, that all should come to repentance. God puts a choice before them. Again, a familiar passage on choices is in Joshua 24. God turned and offered them mercy, the opportunity to choose life with him or without him. In Joshua twenty four fifteen, it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose, your, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A choice for everyone to live with God or without him. To have a life that is full of abundance and peace. Again, maybe not in the material sense, though often it is the case. But an abundance of his grace, his mercy, his peace that passes understanding. He put this opportunity, this choice before them as Joshua does to the people to whom he speaks. 
Choose this day. And that's a choice that's put before us each and every day that we live, that we walk on this earth. To choose to live with the Lord. To choose to surrender to the Lord. To choose to yield our ways to his ways. And to some, when you you have these conversations or you talk about these things, they would look at it and go, gosh, that just doesn't sound very exciting. That just doesn't sound very fun to just have to give myself to the Lord each and every day. But until you understand who the Lord is, until you love him with a love that can only come from him, you won't understand that peace that it's okay to give everything to him, to surrender everything to him. Daily, we have the opportunity to choose life and to live. We have the opportunity to speak life by our testimony, by our words, by our actions. Again, the people here believed a a very great revival came. And I think it's important to look at how this revival came about. It came about by Jonah simply speaking the word that God told him to speak. Preaching the word of God. Proclaiming the word of God. So often in today's society, we, we like things that are exciting, fast, flashy, intense, whatever that might be. But there, there was none of that. There were, there were no theatrics involved here. This was simply Jonah telling them about God. Telling them about his experiencing. Telling them about his father. That is what the Lord de- desires today in us and through us, is to proclaim his word, to live his word, to believe his word. We can think back to the plagues, back when Moses was speaking, again, that, that plague of the hailstones. God gave them up an opportunity, and we won't take the time to turn there, but in Exodus it, it says, He who feared the word of the Lord among Pharaoh's servants and made his servants and his livestock flees to the houses, they were saved. They, didn't, they weren't impacted by that plague of hail. At the core of faith is just this simple belief, a surrender to him and to his ways. We can think of Noah, who was divinely warned of things not yet seen, things that he hadn't experienced, the Lord told him about, and he moved with godly fear. Again, we've seen and heard a lot, but as we come upon this Christmas season, we can think back to Mary, who was told, She would be with child without knowing a man. Again, how is that possible? But her response was, let it be done unto me according to your word. That's great faith. We read those stories. They become familiar. Jonah and Noah's stories here. We we read these stories and they can become so familiar. But there is great truth and great power in surrendering our life to the Lord. And these ones turned to the Lord. They believed, they surrendered, and they allowed the Lord's word to work in them, and that should cause great rejoicing. We can turn to Luke chapter 15, and again we see this parable here of the one who goes to find his lost sheep. In Luke 15, verses 4 through 7, it says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. Again, if there's joy in heaven over one who repents, what joy must have been in heaven 
the day the entire city of Nineveh turned to the Lord. What great rejoicing there is when someone comes to understand the truth of the Lord, when they accept his presence. Again, speaking here of salvation, but even in our lives as we go on with him, as we are understanding, as we comprehend, as we take hold of his truth, the Lord is pleased with that. He rejoices when we come to understand his word, his truth, the depths of that love. What a privileged position we are to be partakers with him. What a privileged position Jonah had to proclaim this message. We too have that same privileged position in our lives to proclaim the love of God. Now each and every day we may not have that opportunity to just sit down and have a conversation with somebody and tell them about the salvation of the Lord. But we can live it. We can, we can model it. We can have a testimony before them that shows a peace that passes understanding when trials come, when hardships are abounding, and they see a peace and a surrender in our lives, they can understand there's something different. And that in itself speaks power, as Jonah's testimony here did to the Ninevites. The king arose and covered himself with sackcloth, an outward evidence of his humility, his submission. It's a coarse, dark cloth made of goats or camel's hair, and it was a symbol of sorrow and repentance. And here, the leader of the entire kingdom put this on to show himself. Let's go on now in verse 7 of Jonah chapter 3 and read here through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> and he, the king, in verse 7, the king of Assyria here, caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. The king had a choice here and he chose rightly. He chose to believe, to surrender to what Jonah was proclaiming, to what God was declaring for him and for his people. The king was put in a place by the word of Jonah to have to make a decision to understand what exactly was being spoken of. And again, I think the king was humbled by this proclamation of Jonah. I think he was literally put in his place to understand, though he is the king, the, the powerful, the most powerful man in his kingdom, in the sight of the Lord, he was as nothing. Let's go to Psalms 2 and verses 10 through 12 here, where I think we can see the, the experience that the king had as this was being proclaimed to him. In Psalms 2, <clears throat> verses 10 through 12, I think actually we just read this, it was either Wednesday or Friday in one of Brother Greg's lessons, but it applies here as well. In verse 10 it says, Now therefore be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Again, the kings of the earth, the instruction here is to be instructed, to be wise. And this king, though powerful, though mighty, very great in his position, very great in who he was the king over, had to come to a place of humbling himself, of submission 
humility, and worship. James tells us also in the New Testament, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And he goes on to say, therefore, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. This took humility for the king to come to this position. And again, it's a work of the heart. It's a work that the spirit does in and through us. Again, in our own position, in our own lives, there's, there's days, there's times, there's moments where we can feel pride, where we can feel like, man, I've really accomplished something. I've really become something. I've really done something with my life or this situation or whatever it may be. But we have to understand outside the Lord, we are nothing. And outside his power, we can do nothing. There is nothing good that dwells in me outside of the Lord. The, the king proclaimed a fast. He published it throughout Nineveh. He made a decree. This was more than him just thinking about the words for himself. He wanted his people, the entire nation, to reflect on these words, this message that Jonah was bringing to them. In Ezra 8.21, you can read here with me, Ezra speaking, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Avaya, that, he might hum- that we might humble ourselves before God to seek him, seek him for the right way and for our little ones and all our possessions. And again here, as we, we've talked about fasting a couple of times in these lessons of Jonah, so we won't go into great depth here, but fasting was not intended to earn God's favor. It wasn't to show that we could buckle down and endure without eating or drinking or whatever the fast may involve. It wasn't to, to be seen as being pious or holy. It wasn't seen to be earning some sort of favor or blessing from God. Instead, it was intended to put aside the distractions of this life, the things that keep us from focusing upon the Lord. The king wanted his people to really contemplate what was being put before them. This was a serious matter. This was life or death. The king wanted everyone to be focused. He wanted them to be separated, to reflect. Again, not to show what they could do, how how they could as a nation come together and, and not eat for a specific period of time. That was not it. Instead, it was to turn and to look. Just as Ezra says there, it, the, the point of Ezra fasting here was to humble themselves before the Lord, to seek from him the right way. Again, it doesn't say they wanted to seek a special blessing or, or earn credit for their work. They wanted to understand the way of the Lord. We see that in the book of Acts as well. As the disciples were, were separated and were fasting for Barnabas and for Saul to the work which they had been called to. And after they fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent their way. Again, this isn't necessarily an indispensable Christian obligation in today's world. But fasting can be a part of our life if it's led of the Lord, if it's truly to separate ourselves from worldly enjoyments in order to dedicate ourselves to prayer. Again, not something that the Lord demands or requires, but certainly there is opportunity there if the Lord puts on your heart. But again, we daily have the opportunity to come into his presence to enter in before his throne with boldness because Christ died. To understand we can humble ourselves in his presence, to come to seek him, to seek that right way. Again, Jesus himself, speaking of fasting, he said, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. So often that's what the world wants. They want, oh, look at me, look at how I'm suffering for the Lord. Look at these things that I do for the Lord. Again, that's not it at all. The Lord specifically said, I don't want you to walk about with a sad countenance. We have much to be joyous about. There's nothing that should be sad or sullen in our appearance. We should be full of joy, inexpressible, and full of glory because of what the Lord has done for us. 
Again, this fast affected his entire kingdom. He even said it affected the animals. From the least to the greatest. Again, Paul tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. The offer is open to all, made to all. Christ died for all. Going on in verse 7 of our opening text, or or chapter 3 there rather, he cried out to the Lord. He made a decree. He wanted them to look and turn to God. Jonah, as he cried out, he could articulate his own experience, how he was in the depths of the belly of that fish, and he cried out to the Lord himself. We remember how he reflected upon that psalm. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, hear my voice. Let my ears, let your ears rather, be attentive to the voice of my supplication. Jonah was a living type of what they needed to do in their lives. This is exactly what the Lord was desiring for them and from them. And we'll wrap up in Ezekiel 18 this morning. This was an extreme opportunity for Nineveh. A once in a lifetime, if you will, this opportunity to turn from their wicked ways and look to him. Ezekiel 18 verse 21 says, But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, keeps all my statute, and does what is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him, because the righteousness which he has done he shall live. Do I have any pleasure at all in the wick- that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? and not that he should turn from his ways and live. Again, if you go on to continue reading that chapter 18, it gets to the point of Israel saying, the way of the Lord is not fair. Again, they're coming to a point of complaining against God's grace, his mercy. We look at the Lord as being abundantly fair, abundantly gracious. As he says here, these are wicked men, and when they turn from their ways, I will forgive them. Again, so that we don't forget And just think it's these people we're talking about here in the Old Testament. This was you and I. We were enemies of the Lord. Again, some of us were very young when we came to know the Lord. I was a bit older. I vividly remember being an enemy of the Lord. I remember mocking the things of the Lord. I remember turning on my heels and walking away from the Lord. Yet he continued to knock. He continued to provide opportunity and presented a vessel before me that once again proclaimed and gave me that opportunity to see. In Isaiah, we read, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Today is the day of opportunity. Today is the day for us to come and seek the Lord, find his way, find his peace, find his joy, for we know that he abundantly pardons, that his desire is for us to grow up into him, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights, about being an overcomer, We talked about the hidden manna that the Lord has if we would simply come and open, ask him to open and reveal it to us. Today is an opportunity. Nineveh had an extreme, a blessed, a great opportunity put before them, and they chose right. And that's where we'll stop today and pick up next week.